think I've talked about this often on the podcast, but I lived in D.C. in 2018 for about six months. I had a phenomenal time in D.C. Live right in DuPont Circle, which is the most I just moved to D.C. ass place you can live if you're an outsider like me. But it was terrific because I walked everywhere. I mean, only time in my life that I've one had a black gynecologist and even better, I could walk to her office. But by far, one of the best things about living in D.C. was going to brunch. I know we're in the midst of COVID right now, but as soon as we are free to socialize again, if you have not experienced a D.C. brunch, you need to handle that A-S-A-P. Now, should you choose to accept this mission, just block out six hours of your day, and I'm dead serious, be prepared to get faded, blackout, then get faded again, and then probably go to a D.C. day party. Now, it's shrimping grits and dropping it low. Uh, and that's just how they do it in D.C. I remember my first D.C. brunch experience, which was before I actually lived there. And me and some of my girls, we went to STK because I, I don't think STK is open actually right now um, or since closed rather. Now, I didn't know how D.C. got down, had no clue. I'm thinking I just had some scrambled eggs, bacon, maybe some fried chicken, a few mimosas or 10 and just be on my way. So four and a half hours later, Listen, the patrons, they created a full on dance floor. People were standing up singing just black joy at its finest. And let me tell you, when that Can We Talk by Tevin Campbell hit, woo, y'all don't know. So why am I reminiscing about brunch? Well, a brunch in Dallas was the subject of a huge national controversy last week. So the word of the week is respectability. Last weekend at True Kitchen in Dallas, they had their weekend brunch. uh, And just for context, True Kitchen is black owned. And from what I can see, it mostly attracts black patrons at this weekend brunch, which I believe was on a Saturday. They had a live DJ, Duce Slushes. The point was chicken and waffles, Duce and getting it in. The mood was quite festive, so festive that when the trap music started dropping, a group of women decided it's twerking time. They started twerking on the furniture. They were loud, boisterous. There were reports that the song Throw That Ass in a Circle is what got them up. I've yet to confirm that, but that's the rumor on social media. Now, this was not well received by the owner of True Kitchen, whose name is Kevin Kelly. The women were asked to settle down twice, in fact, But they kept on twerking. And so finally, the owner asked them to leave. But Kevin Kelly didn't just kick these women out. He had a message for all the black people up in True Kitchen that day. Here it is. Okay, somewhere where we can feel good about ourselves as a... Come on, stop the music, please. Somewhere where our people can feel good about ourselves as a culture, okay? No, no, real talk. And so all this twerking and shit, take it to Prime, take it to Pink, don't bring it here because we're a restaurant. And so beyond that, 75% of my customers are ladies. And I'm on men to show respect for themselves for how they carry themselves here. So how can I tell the men to respect themselves and you guys are twerking on glass here? If you want to do it, get the fuck out of my restaurant. Because I did it for our people and I did it for our culture. So don't do it now, Don't do it again. I don't want to hear it. If you don't like it, get out because I don't need your money. I need to pr- provide something for my people. And don't do it again. Thank you. Ooh, child, I don't even know where to start. So I do understand that when you own a restaurant, when you have invested in said restaurant, you can set whatever tone and guidelines you want. If he asked the women to stop twerking, 
And the owner, Kevin Kelly, said in an Instagram post that part of the reason he asked them to stop is because one of them was twerking up against some glass. And if she hurt herself, then he feared he could get sued. Here are my thoughts on this. Kevin Kelly said in his rant, which in fairness, he has since apologized for that black folks wouldn't be behaving this way in a roof, Chris or Mastro's or whatever other fancy steakhouse he mentioned. I've seen other videos of what transpired at True Kitchen. And what I saw was a lot of people dancing. I saw folks two stepping. Some of the AKAs were doing their things. I saw some aunties stepping. That was hardly an orchestra crowd. And if you playing, throw that ass in a circle. There's an expectation that you want a certain vibe. The reason black folks don't behave that way at Mastro's or Ruth Chris or Prime 112, another spot he mentioned, is because we can't. We aren't in the company of our own people. We tend to feel more comfortable around each other. And that's not a bad thing. The reason Kevin Kelly's restaurant was filled with black people is because the presumption is that they can be themselves. Now, the twerking may have been a little too much. And if they were asked to stop, a couple of times, they should have just stopped. But here's what else doesn't happen at Prime 112. The owner of the restaurant, who I happen to know, shout out to my man Miles, would never throw a temper tantrum in the middle of his restaurant in front of all these paying customers. Kevin Kelly didn't just direct that speech at the patrons he asked to leave. He went full respectability politics on everybody up in there. Every black person there wasn't working. Most appeared to be just enjoying their food. Me personally, I like my shrimp and grits without a side of unnecessary pull yourself up by the bootstraps, invest in real estate, not Jordan's Negro shaming. I have seen white people in restaurants and in bars show their entire ass. I have never seen a white general manager or owner turn to the other white patrons and say, get your shit together, white people. You embarrassing the race. It's only black people who get collectively condemned for the actions of a few. So the word of the week is respectability because Kevin Kelly was on some talented 10th respectability shit. Now on to today's show. Some of you all ask me all the time, who's my favorite guest? Who's your favorite interview? And I never want to slight anybody, so I have a hard time answering. But today's guest, this interview right here, this interview right here, top five and she's not five. I've been rocking with this woman since I first saw her on Def Comedy Jam. And it's been such a delight to watch her career just continue to elevate and blossom. She's a stand-up comedy veteran. And I highly advise you check out her Netflix comedy special, Time Machine. She's also a former cast member on Saturday Night Live. And she starred in the reboot of Ghostbusters, gave a spectacular performance in the Chris Rock movie, Top Five. And she is starring in the sequel to Coming to America. On top of all that, she's hosting the iconic game show Supermarket Sweep. And one more suggestion, you absolutely have to follow her on Instagram because her running commentary on television shows and news programs is just a must watch. Her commentary on Game of Thrones, please watch it. Hilarious. All right, enough with the introduction. Coming up next on Jamel Hill is Unbothered, my girl, Leslie Jones. So I don't remember if I told you this. I feel like I have, but if I did, my podcast audience needs to hear it. So I've been fucking with you for a long time. Like since <laughs> like the Def Comedy Jam days. And to this day, me and my girl, we, you know, with your friends, you have your little uh, like code language or whatever, your little yeah. euphemisms. To this day, we still 
use a variation of your joke about uh, I go be in the uh, kitchen cook a beef stew for Charles while you out there trying to fuck my man. We still like we still use that. <laughs> like that's like our joint. Charles, get in here and cut some carrots. You know right. she a host. <laughs> right. I still remember when you killed that on Def Comedy Jam when you were talking about how you can't leave certain women around your man. I was talking about my friends, the hoe. It's like, nah, I'm not gonna leave you in the room with my man. No. <laughs> exactly. So whenever it's like a situation where we talk about some dude, be like, "Cause I ain't gonna be leaving you up in the room while I'm cooking beef stew." Like we just and we just fall out every time. So that joke, timeless, is made it. It's one of my favorite things to say, and nobody other than us two know knows what the fuck we talking about. <laughs> so, but <laughs> far as I'm concerned, that's your best joke ever. No, it's not your best joke ever. Um, it's true. You know, the true jokes is always the funniest one. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. But um, you know, your your career has uh just it, it's just such a a testament to to who you are cuz I mean, you've been through some ups and downs and the fact that you've gotten to this point, you know, hosting one of the iconic game shows and Supermarket Sweep and all the things that uh that you're doing, it's just really awesome to see things um, you know, just kind of happen for you, you repeatedly, I should say. You know, especially a lot of I just noticed it was just like a, a lot of black women between like you and Regina King and um, you know, just all these different black women who finally it's like Hollywood is waking up like, oh shit, they're talented. Yeah, they've been talented. We've been new, you know. So Man, Regina been in the game for a while. You know, Regina been doing it for a while, while. Like I, I remember meeting Regina back way in the nineties, like because she knew one of my friends. And I think at the time, I think at the time, you remember two two seven and all of that, all that. Oh that yeah, happened. Brenda. She was yeah, Brenda. You know, she was like, she been in it for a while for them. So whenever she gets accolades, I'm always so happy and I'm so glad she's doing what she's doing because she's always been that person, you know. So it's like now they're just discovering us and they're like. Oh, this new thing. Like, nah, man, I'm like 53. There's no way I'm new. <laughs> <laughs> now, how do you keep yourself from being, I guess, a little, I don't know if frustrated is a word, but maybe a little like, okay, I, I, why y'all keep treating me like I'm a breakout star? Like, I'm not a breakout star. Like, I've literally been here. So how do you kind of fight those feelings of like frustration and maybe even a little bit of annoyance that people are discovering you? I like it, to be honest with you, because then they don't put me with the old. They think I'm new. You know what I'm saying? So they think I'm new, but I got the skills of an old. You know what I'm saying? So if they think they're just discovering, discover on, boo. Come on, let's do this. You know, I, I, it doesn't bother me. It, if I was younger, it might have because I'd be like, no, I've done this. When I first started SNL, I, I had a little bit of that because I was just like, yo, I'm 47. I literally would introduce my, myself. I'd be like, hey, I'm 47. My name is Leslie Jones. Like, you know what I'm saying? Because, you know, I look young. So they, they always would come with the shits, you know what I'm saying? With that young shit, you know, I, I, I got an SNL 47 and you know, SNL usually hire children, you know, they hire children and I'm not no fucking kid. So, you know, a lot of times he would be saying stuff to me and I'd be like, Hey man, me and you in the same age bracket, don't talk to me like that. The fuck is wrong with you? Like, you know, you have to check them. Like, you know, Hey, I know you think I'm one of them children, but your ass will get snatch the fuck up like i am not that bitch like you know what i'm saying i done been through it i don't need nobody and you know you know the thing i think the thing that i fight a lot is that you have to tell people i already know who i am and i know what i can do i know what my power is i've already been through that shit like you know people love to say that crossroads shit to me i'd be like bitch i'm 53 i have been to crossroads railroad tracks dirt back alleys 
uh, stop signs. I didn't did all that shit. Okay, I I am very clear about my fucking direction, and this formula for the for the industry never worked for me. That's why if it did, I would have been famous in my twenties and thirties because I'm still I'm still the same person, and um, maybe a little bit more mature, of course. But um, I would have made it then. But the formula I had to figure out that you have to create your own formula because they don't know what you are. I'm telling you everything I would go into. They would always be like, you're so talented. We don't know what to do with you, though. We don't we don't know what like we don't know where to put you like you're too strong for this. And you're too, you know, you're too green for this. We don't know what to do with you. So Lauren, Lauren Michaels was actually the first person that was just like, I don't know what to do with you either. But come, because we're going to figure it out. I'm not going to let you win the Super Bowl somewhere else. That's that's basically how he was. So, you know, I just went there and just made my own way, you know, and. Let and show them what they're supposed to do with me. I, sh- I showed them. You think it would have been uh, different for you, or that, or you to that formula would have evolved sooner if you were a black man. Ooh, damn. Yeah, you know, I think about that shit a lot of times. You know, like uh, that or a white woman. If I was a white woman, she's I'd be more famous than Ellen. That's that's for sure. I'm. I think so. You know. Um, yeah, but I, I'm thinking too that. If that was the case, I probably would have still been in that group of like Kevin Hart and Dave Chappelle and all of them, you know, which right now I'm not. I'm new. You know what I'm saying? The breakout. So um, it's so funny because this was happening to me back in the days. And my friends was always saying, girl, we don't. That's good that they think that you knew. That's good. That's good. Because then you won't ever get, you know, you won't ever get. They won't get tired of you. You knew, you know, so. I started really realizing that I'm kind of glad that everything happened the way that it happened because I have my own, my own shit. I have my own personality and I'm me and without compromising who I am, you know, which is even better. Do you think that um, because you went through a period, I believe, I I think you, I read somewhere that you didn't do comedy. uh, Like when you were first getting in the game, you were getting a little frustrated and and then you kind of quit for a few years, right? No, no. You you never quit. No. So when I first started, (laughs) when I first started, it was in 1987. I was 19 years old and uh, I had never did stand up before. I didn't know. I knew I wanted to be a stand up, but I didn't know stand up. Does that make sense? So at the time I was writing jokes. I was writing these little corny ass jokes about my family and shit. So uh, what happened was uh, my friend Vanessa got me a gig opening up for Jamie Foxx. And I was so bad. Oh God, I was so bad. The DJ scratched me off the fucking stage. He was like, bitch, get off, zika, 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 zika. Get the fuck off the stage. Then my friends, my friends were so mad. They wanted to fight everybody. So we stayed to watch Jamie. Jamie came out and it was like, oh shit. That's what I want to do. That's the that's the, what he's doing. That's what I want to do. So after I talked to Jamie, Jamie was like, you don't have no material. He was like, you're 19 years old. He's like, you barely fucking. Like he's like, go out, get your heart broken, break some hearts, get fired, get hired. Uh, start some fights. He was like, get some fucking material. So that was in 87. I did stop trying to do that and went out and lived for six years and then came back in 93. So that's what happened. 
Ah, so then you, you were just collecting, you were just researching, right? right. By living, basically, <laughs> living, basically making some jokes, Jamil. Oh. <laughs> so were you funny as a kid? I was absolutely fucking insane. Now, my mom, <laughs> my mom and dad did not call it funny. They called me fucking insane. Like my dad would take pictures of me and he would be like, these pictures is a witness to when I put you in that home, they're not going to fight me because they're going to see this picture and they're going to know that you're fucking crazy. You're fucking crazy. My dad would literally say to me some days, you're fucking crazy. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? And I didn't know. I just liked attention. I was just always the class clown. I was the biggest girl in school, you know, because I'm six feet tall. I'm six feet tall in the sixth grade. That's what it felt like. You know what I mean? So, I, yeah, I was absolutely a nut. I was a nut. Were your parents like unintentionally funny? You know the way that yes. my parents are unintentionally funny. Okay, how yes. so? <laughs> Especially my dad. My dad would say some of the dumbest shit. <laughs> okay, I don't know if you know California, but there's this place called Chico's Pizza over on Long Beach Boulevard. Bomb ass. Well, I don't know if they bomb anymore, but they used to be bomb when I was little. And me and my cousin would sneak because, you know, guys was there. So we was like, boys is there. You know what I'm saying? But my dad wasn't with that shit. He was like, you walking on Long Beach Boulevard with you a hoe now? Like, what the fuck? So I came, I snuck out one time with my cousin to go and we came back and my dad was waiting on the steps for me with a belt. He was like, I was like, daddy, we, we just, come on, dad, let's go in the house. We just, we just went to Chico's Pizza. He was like, I don't give a fuck if you went to Pico's Pizza. You finna get fucked up. <laughs> All my friends was like, hey, Les, we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> my dad was a trip. My dad was a trip. Everybody loved him, too. Everybody was scared of him, and everybody loved him. Oh, my God. That is hilarious. Um, you, you're In your comedy, you're very good at sort of attacking what you think people will say about you and then turning it on them. Love it. Which to me, yeah, that takes a great deal of confidence. Like in so many of your, um, you know, your performances where you started off talk, talk about your height, be like, I already know, you know, I got a big foot. I'm a big bitch. Like you always kind of go there. Um, how did you get comfortable exposing these insecurities? Girl. That's a good question, girl. Let me tell you. I always say it's my eight mile moment. You know what I'm saying? You can't talk worse about me than I can talk worse about me. You know what I'm saying? Let me give you some real jokes because you don't know what the fuck is really funny about me. Uh, but I'm going to be honest with you. I wasn't doing that before. I was telling jokes, but I don't think I was really talking about myself. And um, you know Corey Holcomb? Oh, yeah. He done roasted me. Oh, my God. Corey Holcomb. You either hate Corey Holcomb, Corey Holcomb, or you love him. And it's because that's the type of comedy he got. Because Corey I, Holcomb. I can say I'm not a, I'm not a fan. <laughs> most women are. Not what most women are. He will say in a minute, I hate bitches. <laughs> and I remember being in the airport with him one day going, why you, why you hate women so much? Like, why you? He was like, because they just fuck bitches, man. I just, it's like, who hurt you, Corey? Who hurt you? But Corey Holcomb is actually the person. One day he talked about my feet. He roasted me about my feet. I had on some sandals and I probably shouldn't have had them sandals on. <laughs> and he talked about my feet. I, I didn't speak, speak to that motherfucker to, for like three, four months. And, you know, I didn't speak to him. And then we saw each other at Kim Whitley's room. And I had, you know me, I was like, motherfucker, you don't know me. You don't be talking about me, motherfucker. I don't play that shit. I don't be out here running the dozens with you dirty ass niggas. I don't be doing that shit. So you don't be talking about my motherfucking feet. I don't give a fuck. And you know what Corey did? 
He's like, your feet still big and ran off. So it was just like hilarious, right? So we did this gig together and I, we came to a point where like, I forgave him. He, you know, we just was good. And he said to me, he was like, he was like, yeah, I talked about your feet, but why don't you talk about your feet? He was like, why? And I told him, I, you know, because I have a complex. I used to play basketball. And he was like, how come none of that is on the stage, Leslie? He was like, you got to start doing those jokes. He's like, those jokes is the jokes that people actually want to hear. Joke, people want to know that you know that you're tall as fuck. People want to know that you know your feet is big as hell. People want to know that you know that. They don't want you walking on stage acting like you a normal person. He was like, beat you. And that is when I started just doing all of the material, just everything about me. And it's, it's true. It, he was absolutely true. Is that how you got so good at roasting people? Or have you always had that ability? J.B. Smooth helped me with that one. So I got a story for everything, girl. <laughs> the first time a heckler heckled me was in the townhouse when Ronaldo Ray was the host. Remember Ronaldo Ray? Oh, yeah. Girl, I go back. So this guy was sitting in the audience and he heckled me, man. And I was like, fuck, I didn't know how to do it. And I bombed. I just came off the stage and Ronaldo Ray was like, come here, sit right beside me. Cause I was going to leave. I was like, you know, comics, they get the fuck out of the club when they do bad. So he's like, yeah, I'm going home. But Ronaldo was like, no, you're going to stay here and you're going to take this ass whooping. So I, he made me sit right beside him by the door while people were going out and people was like, Ronaldo, oh my God, you're so funny. And they would look at me and go, you you're gonna be okay. You <laughs> you gonna figure you gonna figure it out. You gonna figure it. Out. <laughs> so the next week I come, uh, the next week I came, and the same guy was there. Didn't say a word. I still bombed because I was so scared of him. And then I think I came on my birthday, and this guy. It was my birthday, and this guy called me a booger bear. From the he called me. He said, "You big old booger bear." And it was my birthday, Jamil. I was like, I'm not fucking going out like this. I kicked my shoes off on the stage and I said, fuck you, you big headed ass motherfucker. And I just started going. I just said everything that was, it's almost like I blacked out because when I came to, people were on their feet screaming, going, get him, get him, get him. He was <laughs> some, some little dude you know with his friends and i tore him up so then when i came on stage i was just like oh my god i i, I never want to do that again but then i ended up going to new york and i worked with jb smooth and jb smooth had a heckler and let me tell you something it's the most beautiful thing that i've ever seen that this man took his joke and put this heckler in his joke and did it for 15 minutes and i'm talking about from the people in the kitchen to everybody in the audience, we were sobbing, laughing so hard. He had, he took a chair and dragged it all the way through the audience. Like that was the, it was so, so funny. So that night I rode home with him and I said, JB, I'm scared of hecklers. Like, like, how do I start being a good roaster? He said, Hey, always say the first thing that come to your mind. Cause it's from God. I'm like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I was like, JB. Don't be bringing God in this. He was like, what do you think God not in this? He was like, God talk about folks too. <laughs> God be roasting us real hard. He was like, start seeing the first thing that come to your mind. And I did. It worked. Because you say that first thing, and then that means you get on, and now you're on. You're clamped on now. And just stuff just starts flowing after that. 
is crazy. So I now I love it. People don't even fuck with me no more though. When I walk on stage, you know, I walk on stage, I got that look like motherfucker. I wish I would clear this whole mother. I will clear this motherfucker out. And they would really try it after SNL because they thought, oh, she famous. She's not gonna do that shit. 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 Don't mess with me. <laughs> I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> you had to let them know. I understand. Um, so I, I think it's because, uh, and by the way, I would say that, you know, uh, when you when you go ham on people, you're more like Jon Snow with the sword at the battle. <laughs> right? When 9,000 horses come. It's coming to uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about Game of Thrones, but I swear Jon Snow the most failing upward. I don't want this job ass motherfucker ever. I'm like, why you always don't want the job? But the job is, it should be yours. <laughs> like, but he don't never want the job. And you'd be like, damn. John, see, y'all have to understand the story. John was never supposed to be king. He was always going to be king of the wild north. Because that's what he was born as. He was always going to be that. That's so funny because I, I would always say, damn, John, how do you not get killed? You got nine lives, I'm bro. saying, though. I'm saying. Because he do the dumbest shit. I'm like, you, we can see this. <laughs> oh, why you have to sleep with your auntie, John? I mean, you know, little auntie love and Game of Thrones ain't never hurt nobody. <laughs> <laughs> if, the, if they got brother-sister love, I mean, clear, clearly, auntie. Yeah. <laughs> Which always used to trip me out. I'm just like, so let me get this straight. You all indignant about the auntie, but everybody cool with Cersei fucking her brother, though. But that's all good. Everybody cool with that. Everybody <laughs> Not at ha- first. Held, no. it as, held it as a son. But you're right. You're right. That after a while, Cersei starts saying, I don't give a fuck. You know, I'm the queen now. Shall White folks. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let me ask you about a, a movie that everybody's excited in, that you're in. And I, I didn't realize the role you were playing until recently. The fact you're in the Coming to America sequel and you're playing a king's baby mama. You, How did this come about? <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. I, I'm going to try to talk about it without revealing too much. Yeah, you can't reveal. But, I, I understand. Uh, it's <laughs> so damn good. Um, you, I, I think I can tell this part. Um, it's, it's when he went to the club. I was Joe the Ark in a former life. Oh shit. That's good. (laughs) (laughs) My name is Peaches and I'm the best. They have all that there. It's so good. They have all of that. But then now they added the scene of, 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 of the dude, uh, Arsenio plays comes over and talks to him and Simi. Yeah. Oh no kidding. It's so good. It's so good. And let me tell you. It was surreal because when we was doing the first scene and Eddie came in dressed like a king, it was, everybody got chills. Everybody got chills because he looks the same. So when he came in, it was almost like he ran from the other movie and then ran into this movie. So we literally had, they had to cut because everybody was just like, Eddie. <laughs> like, Oh my God, this is, and we just, we were really at that moment realized, oh my God, we're about to do Coming to America. And it was, it's so good, Jamil. It's so good. It's, it's going to, it's such a good movie. It's so you, so good. You, you know that there's so many people, like I think is, I think it's the best comedy, movie comedy of all time, right? And so it's certainly the most quotable. Every, there's a legion, I mean, this fan, this film is legendary. And so there's a lot of people who are, concerned that like do you really try to remake something that was kind of perfect it's so good it's so good 
tell tell everybody I wasn't gonna be in no bullshit. And I'm be honest, the first script we got, I was like, oh nah, I'm cool on y'all. But uh Kenya came in and rewrote it and it's so good. And Jamil, Eddie let me show my ass. I'm t it's so damn good. <laughs> it's so damn good. It's so funny. Did you have a, a relationship with him prior to to shooting? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I have met um I Actually, I met Eddie way, way, way before SNL. He came into the Laugh Factory with his wife at the time, and I performed. And um, the the host comes and he goes. The guy who books the room, Pookie, was like, "Yo, Eddie wants to talk to you." Wait, and I was wait, like, is his name really Pookie? Yeah, his name Pookie Child. <laughs> okay. <laughs> then you wonder why don't nobody trust him. You know what I'm saying? Your name Has a Pookie ever been trustworthy in hey, the history never, of Pookies? Never, never. <laughs> Pookie ain't never been trustworthy. But um, he came up to me. He was like, yo, Eddie Murphy wants to talk to you. And I was like, you're out of your mind. You're, he was like, he's right over there by the door. Go talk to him. So he's like about to leave. So they had him out the secret door. And he was like, oh, my God, you are so funny. Me and my wife, we watch you on BET. And I'm just like, hey, hey Eddie, Eddie Murphy, you watching Comic View? What the? So you weren't you were surprised he thought you were funny. You were more surprised that he was actually watching Comic View. Yeah, I was like. You watch comic view? He was like, yeah, man, there's some funny people on there. And then I told him, then that's when I asked him, because, you know, comic view was one of those things that only black comedians could really do over and over and over. And I said, well, how many times would you have done it? Would you have done BET? He was like, as many times as you need to, to get the fuck on. And I, because I was worried that I was doing it too much. I think I did it three times and was like, I don't want to do it no more. But he was like, you keep doing that shit until you fucking get the fuck on. You ain't famous. <laughs> like, don't nobody know you. You know, that's right. He was right. He was like, you do whatever you get your ass on the stage. He said, and especially you, because you're funny as hell. And then when I got SNL, uh, he came to the 40th and we was in the elevator together. We already, and everybody was like, you already know Eddie Murphy? And I was like, yeah. Yeah, I know Eddie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Well, he hit on something that you've talked about. Um, before about uh, kind of how you broke out of a particular bubble or uh, a particular box. I want to talk to you about that. But first, uh, we have to take a quick break and we'll be back with more with the hilarious Leslie Jones in just a moment. Before the break, Leslie, um, you mentioned how Eddie Murphy told you, you know, do comic view as long as you need to before you can move on. And for a while, you were pigeonholed as the black comedian, right? And so, or maybe even the black female comedian to be, to be more specific. Yeah. So what, I know you had to take a number of steps to kind of get out of that. Um, how did how did you do it? Damn, I hate to tell you how I did this, Jamil, but I'm going to have to say it. You know, my brother passed away. My brother died. And... Um, I can't explain it. It was something different in me that happened. And I had also met this, this uh, white writer named Eric Marino. And I remember him telling me one night, he was like, you funny as hell. He was like, but if I walked into Walmart and walked to the black female comedy, black female comedy section, I couldn't pick your shit out of anybody else's. You're the same as everybody else. And that, I went home and threw out all my fucking jokes. I burnt them him the fuck out. I said, I'm starting over. And I had just did a special. I did Problem Child, all of that. I threw all them fucking jokes away and went back 
And um, at that time, like I said, when my brother died, I really was more of like um, in survival mode because I don't think that's when the mohawk came because I didn't want to comb my hair. That People think the mohawk came from, it came because I didn't want to comb my hair. I didn't feel like combing my fucking hair. I didn't feel like doing shit. And the first time that I performed, uh, Ian Edwards called me out to a gig and I went out with the Mohawk and I was on stage and I was doing some jokes, but I was just like, I stopped in the middle of my act and I said, I don't really want to talk about none of this bullshit. This is what the fuck I want to talk about. And I just started doing something else. And it started from there. And I'm going to tell you, I had to start over. I had to start over because I decided that I wasn't going to do black clubs. I wasn't going to do black clubs until I established exactly what type of material I was going to do anymore. And I love black clubs. I, it, I, it was my, you know, bread and butter up until a point, but we do pigeonhole, pigeonhole ourselves sometimes when we just do black clubs. You have to do them all. I, I, and this is so important. I really want comedians to hear this because I'm not dissing them at all. I'm not dissing black clubs. I'm saying that you've got to get out and on the other part of the tree. You can't just be on one part of the tree. And when you take your talents, I was, I, when I went and started doing late night spots, because white people didn't know who I was. It didn't matter how black fabulous I was or ghetto fabulous, or it didn't matter how many times I did fucking BET or Def Jam. They didn't give a fuck. They didn't know who the fuck I was. So I was doing two o'clock in the morning spots, like a new jack. You know, I was, and, and most comics, and I'm sorry to say this, Jamal, I'm going to say it, and I know people are going to be pissed off, but I don't give a fuck. Most of the black comics that we've seen on BET and all that that became famous didn't do that shit. You know, and that's why you don't see most of them because they became dinosaurs. You know, they may still be performing or whatever, but they're doing just that. You know, so when I went started going to these white clubs, now you got white comics giving you tags. So I would go up and do a joke and I would come down and white comics would be like, hey, you need to do this, do this, do this. And in my head, I'm like, fuck, I didn't even know the joke could do that. I didn't even know I could go that way with the joke. And I wouldn't have known that. Because, and I love black, and again, I'm going to say this because I want people to think I'm dissing them. We think the same. We do. Black comics would give me the same tags that I'm already thinking. You know, so it's, it's almost like it's, it's a combination. It's, 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 it's mixing seasonings. You know, like I would love for Tony Roberts to perform at a white club and have white comics just come and take, because Tony Roberts is funny as fuck. You know what I'm saying? Have a white comic come and give him a different direction. And I'm not saying white comics are all that. I'm saying they're different than us. You know, just like I would get tags from Spanish comics, just like I got tags from Asian comics. Seriously, you put yourself in a field where other people can touch your shit and you can't be so insecure not to let them touch it. Does that make sense? Like, don't be scared that somebody's going to give you a fucking line and give them credit for it. It's okay. You wrote the joke. He gave you a line. It's, he didn't write the, like a lot of comics is like that too. Like, oh no, I wrote it. You know, it's, it's, that's stupid because you're limiting yourself. So once I started doing that, yo, it was like, I could talk about anything. Like it was, yo, it was just like crazy, crazy. Oh my God, I could talk about this now. It's a whole different world. And I tell all black comics when I talk to them, please do more than black rooms. 
Don't be fucking mad when you go to a white room and they treat you like shit because they probably are because they don't know who you are. Fucking be in undeniable. The way I got into the comedy store, I went up to the booker and said, you racist. You racist. That's, <laughs> that's it. That's why you're not putting me up because you racist. And he's like, no, I'm not. I was like, you're fucking racist because you only put me up on black night. Why don't you put me up in this room? And I was like, put me up at a good time because you, you know you're racist. You're racist. He was like, okay, okay. So I'm going to put you up at 1030. He's like, if you don't rip, you don't get no more spots. One or two o'clock. I was like, okay. I went up there and fucking massacred that shit. Massacred. I tried to kill people on the stage. I, I think I was trying to kill somebody. <laughs> and he booked me from then on. You know, you got to be, you got to be bold with your shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, like seriously, Jamel, I like I've I've done shit like walked up to the bar and be like and put fifty dollars down on the bar and say, hey, let me perform here. If I'm not good, you can keep that fifty dollars. And I'll get that fifty dollars back and drinks. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> you you gotta believe in yourself and you gotta believe. And I always knew that I was supposed to be doing more material. So Well the thing is though, when I, I listen to you, it's not like I'm sitting there thinking you're you're not telling jokes that don't relate to me they still relate right so it's it's i see a, a maybe some subtle differences but i don't think it's anything like your personality and your authenticity is is still there my guess is that do you think that black comedians worry about that part that if they begin to perform for more white audiences that they will lose that they'll lose their edge they'll lose their edge oh now you're a white comic oh now you're a mainstream comic i can perform any fucking where and i'm a comic does that make sense? Like, I can still go to the fucking townhouse if I want to. I just don't because I don't have to. You know what I'm saying? But nah, you lose your edge when you don't be a comedian no more. When don't nobody fucking know you no more. That's when you lose your edge. Like, there's some great comics that we still should be hearing from right now. And we won't. Because they're stuck in that mode. I was a BET star. Yeah, I've um along those same lines, especially with social media, it's you've seen, I'm sure, the um the comedy floodgates open and there seems to be, I guess, some tension, if you will, between people who do stand up like yourself and people who just do stuff for the internet. What's kind of your take on this kind of explosion of people doing shit on the internet? Damn, you know, maybe back in my twenties and thirties I would have probably been like, Fuck that, you need to earn your shit. Whoa, 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 whoa. But now Shit, I, I think they smart as fuck because they didn't took on a medium, you know, and figured it out, like figured out how to perform. I mean, how smart is that, that they are able to still perform during COVID? Do you get what I'm saying? Like a lot of comedians were fucked when the COVID came. You know what? I'm going to tell you, anything like that is going to fuck comedians. 9-11 fucked us. Like, fucked us. I had so many gigs booked, all them shits was canceled after that. So COVID is killing a lot of comedians. So I give it up to the motherfuckers who can come on Instagram and actually make that shit work. And some of them are really fucking funny. Jess Hilarious is hilarious to me. I, I think she is so funny. Uh, Jess with the mess, I told her, I said, girl, only thing you gotta do is sit on stage and do Jess with the mess. That You literally can do that whole thing as a show. It's so damn funny. You know, D. Lau is already a comedian, but he, he knows how to take care of the internet. Tony Baker, another good page. To hear more, another good page. Just like, 
I love when people do that. Now, just because they didn't sit in a fucking stanky ass club like us and and do that, that doesn't mean that they ain't gonna pay no dues. They're still gonna have to pay some type of dues. Dues are always gonna be paid. It just depends on what type of dues. We decided to pay a different type of due. You know, these are younger people that it's just like the comedians that came before me. That's probably like, you didn't go with what the fuck I went through. I used to have to walk through the back door, bitch. Like I couldn't even talk to the, do you get what I'm saying? So I'm lucky, you know? So I think that we need to just worry more about what the fuck we're doing ourselves than what somebody else is doing. Cause they own road is going to be their own road. So I don't, I, I think every, anybody who feel like they can do it, fucking get up and, and do it. And, but I always say, be funny. I, I don't like comedians who are not funny and then say that they're doing comedy. Does that make sense? Like, like, uh, some other soliloquy shit that no you're preaching you're not doing comedy you're preaching does that make sense i i think that you should be funny only people who can pull off that conscious shit is fucking dave chappelle <laughs> dave chappelle the only one who could kind of pull that shit off you know what i'm saying everybody else need to be just funny just be fucking funny <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, but nevertheless, though, uh, Instagram has become yet another vehicle for you. It started in, I, I mean, I'm not sure how it started. Actually, I should, I need to get this origin story from you. Like, you just would go on there commenting about television shows. And then suddenly, like, especially during Game of Thrones. It's crazy. Like, it just it just blew up. So It's so insane. How did you notice that this was this was a thing? Man, when I started doing that, I was like, wait a minute. People really reacted to this shit. Like. I think it really started with Breaking Bad. I, I'm, I'm, I want to say it started with Breaking Bad because I had never seen Breaking Bad and it had already been off the air for five years. So it was a Thanksgiving holiday and I was like, I need something really good to watch. And I just laid on the couch and watched the first episode of Breaking Bad and I was like, <sighs> and I live tweeted Breaking Bad and everybody was like, yo, that shit is fun. So I started doing, and I was already watching Game of Thrones. So I just started doing Game of Thrones. And it was hilarious, some of the stuff that people were reacting to. I was like, oh, wow, people watch TV like I watch TV. That's great. You know, so that's that's really what happened. I, I'm just as surprised as everybody else. that because And then, you know what's so funny is people be like, we want to watch TV with you. No, you don't. I am the worst person to watch TV with. I will pause that shit and sit there and think for a minute, like, what the fuck just happened in this thing? And then I rewind it. And then, no, and if I miss something, I would rewind that shit like three or four times. Like, wait a minute, I didn't see, was that guy in the back? What's that color? I watch TV like crazy. So it takes me, a Game of Thrones episode will be an hour. It takes me two and a half hours to watch it. Because I got to get up and run. I got to maybe go and get some food. I got to cook a whole dinner. <laughs> You're like, I got shit to do in between. Okay. <laughs> well, you can imagine my joy and my surprise when one of your commentaries made its way to Below Deck. Uh, we do have a clip from <laughs> you giving your commentary from when I was on Below Deck uh, in Thailand with Captain Lee. Here is Leslie Jones just telling the truth. <laughs>
man. Bitch, we got to hang out, Jamal. They would kick us out the restaurant. Because <laughs> enough of, you know, calling the cook to the table going, yo, this better be good because you know. Jamil, get that fucking drink on. I like her. Let me explain, Leslie. As you pointed out, so, you know, it was a it was the observation of all observations. You knew I was drunk as fuck, like super, super drunk. Like we have been drinking all day. Like I have been drinking since about like Girl. 9 a.m. in the morning. Girl. Right. Because because I got up, I got up on some whiskey and I was, <laughs> it was a day. You was the <laughs> I swear, <laughs> when your episode came, I could not wait to, because they were showing it and showing it. I was like, I don't know who this black girl is, but I swear to God, I am going to watch this episode. Jamil, I was like, I don't give a shit. She is my homegirl from now on. She don't know me, but she is my homegirl. Because you, yo, some, yo, because you reminded me of some of my friends, because people don't know black women can fucking drink. Black women yes. can fucking get oh, their yeah. drink on. White women think they can drink. Now, I done met some white women that can drink. I done met some Irish white women that will drink your ass under the bar. But, Jamil, you fucking... Oh, my God. When you... Um, I, it was so many... It's so many funny points. First of all, when, um, when the girl... When you checked the girl, I was like, oh, my God, if that's not me. Well, first of all, it doesn't seem like you're very nice. It doesn't seem like... um. You enjoyed us asking. I was like, because <laughs> she she did. And that's most of my friends like that. All my friends, who know, me, like I'm never that way. Now, let me tell you how they set you up on Below Deck, though, Leslie, because I feel like you need to go on Below Deck. You need to go on there. Girl, I've been to curse out everybody. I don't. I think you would be like the perfect, perfect charter guest. Right. So um, they get you tuned up. So before we even make it to the yacht, we're at uh, a bar that's right on the marina area. And they, you know, the producer's like, yeah, we'll just like go over like the mic packs, you know, just general stuff you should know, blah, 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 blah. Hey, y'all want some shots? We're like, hell yeah, we want some shots. They get you fucked up before you get there. Right. So when we got to the boat, we already like, we feeling no pack. We good. We done did it like, you know, three or four rounds of shots. We like, okay, you know. And as soon as you get on, you know, you get the, you get the champagne. You're like, all right, can't showing you around the boat. But she did seem, uh, I mean, I know that she's not, having watched the show, I mean, I know kind of how she is, or at least how the show portrays her to be. So, but she was a little bit frosty. And I was just like, wow, we ain't been here an hour yet. And you just seem And like, you already frosty. You seem frosty. Now, once I saw the entire season, I realized why, because the crew had gotten into a huge fight. Yeah. Like, right before we got there. But you did right, though. See, this is what the part that I, I was like, but do you see how she went back and said, look, that was my bad. I didn't know what was going on. And I said, that's how the shit should be. I said, she handled it like it was supposed to. But that fucking birthday, oh my. <laughs> Jamil, you had me laughing. I was laughing. So I said, like, Jamil is not going to make it to the cake. I promise. And you started leaning. You started doing this lean. <laughs> Jamil's leaning. When you got up and whispered in your friends, I'm going to be back in 20 minutes, I was crying. Like I said, you know they brought to bring that big dick cake out. And Jamil ain't gonna even be here to see that big old dick. And it was huge. It was so huge. And when they brought and they brought it out, they brought it out at the wrong time. Everybody was talking about consciousness and, and social justice. And then here come a big old black dick. I was like, ah! You set him up. 
You set him up and then got up out of there. I did. You know, and the thing is, I thought, you know how it is when you drunk. You think in your mind you being covert, right? Like, so I was just like... <laughs> I was not. And I didn't realize I'm leaning. I'm not only leaning. I'm doing that slow blink because I'm like, I'm about to pass out in this lovely lobster rally over here. I was like, oh, gosh, she going in on the damn shit. <laughs> that was the best episode. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, after that, I was like, yo, I hit my manager. I was like, I don't know. We got to hook up with this girl. <laughs> this girl. I need that. I went and researched. I was like, oh, she's like a, she's like the shit. Oh God! It's it. I so now my my friends they call it. You know they'll be like, oh, we about to go out and get BDD, which is below deck drug. So like now now it's a whole thing. And them whole, them shows is like that. They just want you faded and just see how you act when you faded. I don't know how you got on because I can't get on the boat. I will get sick as hell. I don't know how y'all was drinking. Yeah, well they got you know you got drama me. They got seasick things. Like you'll be you'll be fine. Like I didn't need that because I don't get seasick. So I was. She said, "Girl, they got drama me. They got they got yeah, you good." Um, but the the funny thing is, as even though it may not have looked that way, the night I apologized to to Kate, which was the night I believe before that, and I told her I was like, you know, my bad. I was probably on some shit. You know, whatever. We good. Like I ain't got no problem with you. Um, we were trash that night that night i was drunker it was no question really oh god yeah because we had done like so many rounds of shots like they just kept coming and we were doing a 90s dance party i remember which that. you couldn't hear yeah we were doing a 90s dance party and that was dope yeah it was a lot of fun um but we were in there ripped that's why my girl had to walk me to my room like that's the difference it's like she had to walk me to my room the night before i left of my own free will Remember, th- 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 that's the difference that's why i was like i was drunker the night before trust me <laughs> i know <laughs> that was the best episode ever dude i'm sick. <laughs> i was like oh they don't know how to deal with a real sister that's a real sister right there I, yeah, well, and you're right. It's like, and maybe it's a misconception, but if you've grown up in a black household, you got a grandma, a mama, an auntie, like, you learn how to drink. Oh, I mean, it just. My family. And, and you know what? It's some funny. It's something funny about that, too, because I don't think you notice it when you're little that they're drinking. When I went to home for the holidays, I was like, y'all getting fucked up. <laughs> Wait a minute. Is that the second bottle of Hennessy that just came out? Wait a minute, who is drinking that? And then you look over and I'm like, my ain't that? What are you got? And it ain't the light shit either. It ain't like they sit up there drinking rose. No. <laughs> they drinking they drinking some E and J, Hennessy, so a hard shit. I was like, Uncle William Earl, because you know all my uncles got two names. I was like, Uncle William Earl, what is you drinking? It's, it's true. So I uh, I was able to to show this other side of. Yeah, I thought it was, I thought it's great, especially and then like after I looked you up and said I was like, oh wow, she's like considered serious. Like she's a serious jerk. <laughs> Not on that yacht trip. She went below that. No, they just said a, a different person. So I appreciate your commentary about not just TV shows. Um, but also just about news in general, because you you had the most hilarious because now it's at a point where people actually like want you to say something about them. So what is the show that people most want you to do running IG commentary? On? You know, it's so weird. I, I pick them now. I pick them sporadically because now I have to surprise people. I can't just do it all the time because then it starts becoming old or whatever. So once in a while, I throw something in there. People always want me to do stuff like Lovecraft or or. um. Uh, you know, I can't do love. Lovecraft has a lot of racial stuff in there. 
So, you know, I'm going to say what I'm thinking. And that probably shouldn't be said out loud. You know what I'm saying? So, and I love Lovecraft. I thought Lovecraft was like one of the best shows ever. Um, but what I do is I try to pick stuff that's not going to be too, it's going to stay funny. In other words, like I, like I did Shape of Water. Um, I did the elections. Um, yes. Now, this is the thing, because I was looking at your background. I was like, okay, so she got a football helmet. What the hell is that? The San Francisco. Okay, she got a gang of books. Is that a goddamn Emmy over there? Is that a real Emmy? Is the question. Is It's a real Emmy. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, it's a real Emmy. You look at people's background, you go, okay, did you think about it before you sat down in front of that shit? You know what I'm saying? Like, there was one on there last night. I said, bitch, get your shit together. Get it together. Your shit is not together. You're talking to us like you got your shit together. And in the background, it's fucking chaos. What is happening? You know, and it's like, I don't think people know what they have behind them until it's brought to attention. There was a brother who had two dogs on his bookshelf. I said, the fuck, bro? Nobody gonna take you fucking serious if you got dogs on your fucking shelf. There was somebody that had a guitar. How you expect me not to see the fucking guitar in the back? And you sitting here talking about some serious shit. And all I'm thinking is, what do you sing on that fucking guitar? You know, this is like the funniest thing I ever done. Oh, and you even a, 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 a friend of mine, uh, Yamiche Alcinder, when you were like, why they got her in the break room? She <laughs> hit me. No. I was like, wait a minute. Do they got the sister downstairs in the basement? What the fuck? It's why does everybody keep going through her shot? Is this the kitchen? Is she in the kitchen? That, I have to say, is the funnest thing to do because it's all freestyle and you just never know what you're going to say. I saw so many. I had to put I had to turn my phone off last night because I wanted to get Brian Williams. There were so many good backgrounds to fuck with. And I was like, you got to rest. Put your phone down. (laughs) You got to rest. You got to (laughs) rest. Well, you were able to bring some, even though uh, on your Instagram and on social media, you've had some like more serious um, messages, uh, but you were able to bring some levity to it. Um, but nevertheless, um, you know, to see Kamala Harris now be the vice president elect, you know, what does that mean? Um, what does that mean for us? I guess, you know, what does that mean for black women, South Asian women, women of color? What does that mean? Doesn't it feel like it's the year of the woman? You know, it seems like it does. It seems like everything is starting to kind of do what it actually is done. We're starting to get accolades for what we've been doing for years, you know, especially black women. You know, black women, we fucking soldiers, man. We were like what Stacey Abrams did in Georgia. Come on now. Come on now. We may get the Senate because of Stacey Abrams, you know, and and oh, Michelle Obama. And then now we got Kamala as the uh, vice president. That's just like. I think I think this is the first time I've ever felt uh, enthusiastic about the future. Uh, I, I felt like I feel like. Oh, okay. I think we're starting to get, cause I'm going to be honest. I was very surprised to find out that half the country is still racist. I'm going to be, I know that's stupid. I know I'm stupid for thinking that, but I thought maybe it was just 20%, maybe 30% at the most, you know, just like a little area, but half of the fucking country. I was like, well, not only that, what do you make of the fact that you have at least the way the exit polls look right now, 55% of white women voted for Donald Trump, which is more than did the last time around. How does that happen? And, my, and some of them are my fans. You go, how are you a fan of me then? How, how are you my fan? Because he doesn't like black people. Like, real talk, he's proven it. He's even said it. He's He's been very verbal. I, I mean, he don't come out and say, oh, I just hate black people. But his actions show as such. You know what I'm saying? Not just black people, brown people, 
Asian people, women, you know what I'm saying? Uh, transgender, gay, he, you know, he's, he's like the epitome of hate. You know what I'm saying? And for, for women, women, this is upsetting me so much that women are playing against themselves. You're playing against yourself because of what? Of, of what you think is a masculine white man? Real talk, though, because that's the only reason that Trump was in office, because he was a very strong, masculine white man. It didn't matter if he was stupid. Thank God he didn't look good. Thank God he wasn't good looking. And that's real talk. Think about oh, we, it. We would we, have got eight years. We'd have been fucked. Yeah, we would have got eight years. I mean, it's the same thing like that happened with Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan was who he was and, and was able to get in there. And, 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 and But black people, it's so funny. White people remember Reagan as somebody so Way awesome. Way differently. We think of Reagan as like, I remember Reaganomics. My mama hated Reagan. <laughs> same. She same. hated Ronald Reagan. So I was like, y'all have a, when I went to SNL and they were saying the things about Reagan, I was like, we was at a table one time and they was talking. I was like, am I, am I losing my fucking mind? We talking about fucking rock Reaganomics? Are we talking about that motherfucker? The motherfucker who brought drugs to the neighborhood. That motherfucker. That motherfucker. No, I like his wife. His wife was cool. <laughs> well, I've I've tried to explain this to people. It's like Donald Trump was just, um, he was just the. They need somebody who delivers the same messages but nicer. All right. Everything that Donald Trump said, it was straight from the playbook of Richard Nixon. It was straight from the play playbook of Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan had the welfare queen. Yep. Yeah, welfare queen that he used um, as a way to undercut and dehumanize people of color who are on welfare, even though most of the people on welfare were white. He, he was trafficking in the same racist tropes as Donald Trump, the same ones. And so um, this idea that they used to be a, a much gentler party is like, nah, the policy still been, this, been racist as hell. It's still been the same. And Trump didn't do nothing but play right. Just like Obama said, he didn't do nothing but, they, uh, but come and fulfill that insecurity that all the motherfuckers had anyway. He, he just came right in and solidified it. That's all he did. And what's so upsetting about the whole thing is like, God damn, it's 2020. We still doing this shit? Come on, man. We like, we literally got to live together. And it's so bad. Like, you, we're fighting each other, but the earth is about to kick us the fuck off. Like, the earth is about to like, y'all can fight all you want to. All you motherfuckers is going to be dead because this is some bullshit. You're not even taking care of me. You know, not, not that we're not taking care of each other. It, 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 and it's so upsetting that people are out thinking that they're fighting for America and you're not fighting for America. You're fighting for racism, homie. You're not, you're not fighting for your free. And the, and the fact that you can compare you not having freedom to slavery is just fucking insulting. It's so a insulting. Mask. And, and a mask. <laughs> it's like, like fuck, a mask. Motherfucker, do you know if all we had to do with slaves was wear a fucking mask? The fuck? Like, like let them start coming in your house and start taking your children and shit. You know what I'm saying? Or start fucking fucking your wife. That that's 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 when you really need. But a fucking mask, you moron. And then what's what's so upsetting is that y'all dying. So what are you saying? That's happening to the people who are dying. Oh, they just dying. It's oh, it's a hoax. They dying. So what the fuck they dying from? We killing them? What the fuck? It's so dumb. It's upsetting and it's a divorcing from reality that it, I really frankly never thought I'd see but unfortunately when you have this access to information it could be weaponized yep. to radicalize people or to frankly divorce them from reality that's so true okay um i hate to I, I hate to have to let you go but before i do 
because I'm having so much fun. Um, before I do, uh, it's a game I play with all my guests called This or That. The choice is yours. You can get with this or you can get with that. You can get with this or you can get with that. You can get with this or you can get with that. So you're Miss Game Show host now. I like games. Yeah, I'm not nearly as good as you are, but I'll try to make it work. I'm going to give you two choices and you just got to pick one. That's it. Okay. Very simple. The fate of the world depends on your answer, Leslie. So oh, shit. take this serious. <laughs> okay. Steve Kornacki or John King? What? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I know Steve Kornacki is your boo. Well, let me tell you why, though. Let me tell you why I like Steve Kornacki rather than John King. I think John King is great. He's great. But he's still kind of a uh, stick in the ass. Right. Type, you know, got on the suit jacket and shit. Just because you got on jeans. I don't give a fuck. You, you're still not relaxed to me. You know what I'm saying? Only person that can pull that off to me is, is Chris Cuomo. Chris Cuomo is fine, okay? He can, he can wear tennis shoes with his suit and be like, cool. You know what I'm saying? But they hold reports. I hated they hold reports. That sweep across the floor shit, when they would get up from the desk and walk across the floor like they doing something important, I wanted to fucking run in that studio and push everybody down. Just push them down. But Steve, Steve was on that hardcore statistic shit. That nerd shit. When he pulled that fucking calculator out, I was like, God damn it. God, boy, I want you to come and do some multiplication on me. And, and he didn't give a fuck. Like, he had on khaki a regular shirt. Now, you know that shirt was regular than a motherfucker. I'm talking about, like, Sears Roebuck regular. You know what I'm saying? Like, he didn't wash that shirt three or four times. He, he washed that shirt. He stapled his fucking tie. That's a real, that's a real newsman. I want my newsman stressed out and fucking worried about the world. I don't want no clean suit. You, what you worried? You ain't worried about shit. But if your tie is clean, motherfucker, I want somebody that is going to be digging in the ditch trying to get the numbers. Steve was passing out. <laughs> oh, I would have loved anything as much as you love Steve Kordacki. All right, so he wins it. Okay, uh, from your time at SNL, Naked and Afraid or New Annie? Oh, Naked and Afraid. I, I was so glad that you did that because I I, I love Naked and Afraid. Isn't I'm it, like... It's the most selfish show. It's the most selfish show. That show crazy as hell. It's so fucking selfish. Them people be in the woods together. You're supposed to be looking out for each other, but they become the most narcissistic, awful. You can't have no attitude when your dick is swinging by snakes. Like... It, it was the stupidest show. So when, when Peter came, I was like, I don't care what nobody say. We should do a fucking episode of Naked and Afraid. And he was like, he was like, are we going to be naked? I was like, and afraid. We're going to be both <laughs> of those. Okay. So we started like six o'clock in the morning shooting that shit. And seriously, I showed up in the Uber naked. Like, but like totally naked, huh? He, he, he got five stars. <laughs> and then they was like, hey, you know you're not supposed to be really naked. I was like, oh. Well. You in character. Because I was going to ask you, I was like, were you actually naked? I just assumed you nah, were. No, they had, they had stuff on us. They had like, you they know, had stuff on us. I was like, oh, God. Oh, that's funny as hell. That's funny as hell. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, better scene from, from a ruthless, like, OG standpoint. What was better? Arya's revenge on Walter Fry when she made him eat his own children or whatever, like she had cut up everybody and she pulled off. Oh, yeah. She yeah. pulled off the thing. Yeah, that. that was good. Or when she killed the Night King. God damn. Girl. Okay. So I'm going to say Walter Fry. The Night King was gangster as fuck. 
She switched hands on him. <laughs> it was gangster as fuck, but it was so expected because I already knew Aria knew how to fight. But Walter Fry was way more gangster. That was about diabolical shit. That was diabolical. <laughs> when she filled the whole room and he was talking shit. Oh, and which oh, it was so. And then when she walked out, I was like, "They better watch out for Aria. They better watch out. They better watch out." When she was like, "Tell them the North remembers," I was like, "Do that." <laughs> I'm gonna tell you that gangster move that her and Sansa made on on Littlefinger. He was so moved. Mm-hmm. How you think you gonna put two sisters that have been through what the fuck they've been through against each other? Nah, nah, bruh, nah. They had me fooled because I was like, oh, shit, here they go again. Like, they ain't learned nothing. I think I realized it when Littlefinger was spying on Ari. I was like, nah, Ari, that's too, nah, Ari wouldn't get caught. Like, I was like, this is a setup. I know it. I know it. I was praying it was. All right. And finally, uh, this might be a little tougher. I like this game. <laughs> Carol Burnett or Lucille Ball? Oh, shit. Ah, oh, you're killing me. Yeah, I know you're, those are two of your, your faves that you studied. You're absolutely killing me. Oh. By the way, Vitamina Vegemin, still funny. Still lands. Still lands. Lucia Ball was a motherfucking gangster. Lucia Ball was beautiful. You know, people don't know how pretty she actually was. And she didn't give a fuck. She didn't give a fuck because she cared about the joke. And that's the thing that I learned the most about, about um, doing my faces and my expression was from, from uh, Lucia Ball. Lucia Ball thought how she wanted. She thought, and then her came on her face. I, I, and that's something that I mastered. She's, you have to think it, and then you, it comes on your face, and then you you back it up. It's it's so good. I learned. I, I would study her every episode because she always had a look. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Now, Carol Burnett. Carol Burnett was just. She was just a gangster in far as like, yeah, I don't give a fuck what I look like. Yeah, I have titties hanging all the way down and this is a sketch. Like, I don't care. Like, that's what I loved about. But I would have to, I think I'm going to go ahead and pick Lucille Ball. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, they were they were both great. I know. Sorry. I know that's two of your faves. They were both amazing. Well, you know what? You're fucking amazing, Leslie Jones. Thank you. You too. This is one of my favorite podcasts that I've ever done. Oh, you are just fucking hilarious. <laughs> I love Supermarket Suite and, um, you know, just much success with everything you do. And I know it's like a tough time and i can't wait to see coming to america too you put some respect on it i feel so much better i'm not i don't have anxiety about it and oh i'm in on that oh it's gonna be so good don't miss it don't miss it don't miss it it's so good every character in there is gonna you're gonna be so happy you're gonna be so 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 happy that makes me feel so good all right guys leslie's getting out of here final segment coming up y'all know what's next fuck it i'm bothered For most of us, it's been hard to find positives from this year. We've been through a lot, y'all, which is why whenever we have a reason to laugh and clown, I just appreciate those moments so much more. So to that end, I enjoyed myself quite thoroughly last weekend watching the Mike Tyson, Roy Jones fight. But while it was cool to see those two boxing legends square up, though my man Roy Jones looked like he needed some oxygen, The fight that brought all of us a much needed laugh was the fight between YouTube sensation Jake Paul and former NBA player Nate Robinson. 
in case you didn't see one second of the fight, here's what happened to Nate Robinson. You got knocked the fuck out! (laughs) Nate Robinson was taking a nap before he even hit the canvas. But that's not why I'm bothered. Fuck it, I'm bothered because people, they just had to ruin one of the few reasons and few times that we've had to laugh this year. Because just as the jokes were flying, here comes a parade of people who want to remind us that we're awful for laughing at Nate Robinson's expense. Seriously, why can't some of y'all just let us live? Listen, we know it took a lot of guts for Nate Robinson, who is not a professional fighter, to get in the ring. Yes, most of us who have clowned this man, who sent the memes of the little kids from Boys in the Hood looking down onto his limp body, or participated in the Nate Robinson challenge where you just lie still face down on the ground. Most of us who laughed at those memes or participated in that will never ever set foot in the ring because we don't want to take an ass whooping. I get it. But can we all just laugh without judgment? Can we just get some jokes off? Do we have to hotep the shit out of everything? Nate is just fine. His pride is probably a little wounded. Few of the ancestors might be a tad disgusted at him. But as Snoop Dogg said during the fight, he from the hood. He'll bounce back. But should you get back in the ring, Nate, do us all a favor. Keep your guard up, player. Stay unbothered. Jamel Hill is Unbothered is produced by Spotify and Unbothered Inc. From Unbothered Inc., Ashley Van Horn is our head of talent. Rich Burner is our technical director. And Evan Dick is our executive producer. From Spotify, supervising producer is Jifa Yador and project manager is Jessica Dow. Our theme music is provided by Corey Greenleaf and Ben Darwish. This or that music, the choice is yours, revisited by Black Sheep. Written by Andres Titus, William K. McLean, and Johnny Hammond from Universal Polygram International Publishing, Inc. on behalf of itself and Pete Bow Music. You can find more from me on Twitter and Instagram at Jamel Hill. Please remember to subscribe and share with your friends.